Welcome to Inside Amusements, your number one podcast about yesterday, today, and tomorrow's amusements. With your hosts, Brian, Chris, and Eric. I'm Joe, the producer, and this is episode number four, Music to Our Ears. And now, here's Brian. Thanks, Joe. Just want to let everybody know that Chris will not be with us this episode, so I'll be taking over for the news portion. So to get started, currently in the news, looks like Cotta Land is to build a full-fledged amusement park uh, with multiple rides and five roller coasters. Originally, they were just going to build the one roller coaster uh, that we mentioned early in an earlier episode, but it looks like uh, it's going to be five coasters now, with one of them being a tilt coaster by Vacoma. This will be a first of its kind in the United States. And next we have, um, looks like Roaring Timbers, built by uh, Great Coasters International, opened up in Vietnam. This is Vietnam's first and only wooden roller coaster. Uh, it stands about 106 feet tall. So it looks like the folks in Vietnam are going to have some uh, fun times riding that thing. Then next in the news, looks like uh, Steamboat Ski Resort announced that Outlaw Mountain Coaster is closing after five years of operation. Looks like its final day is going to be April 10th. So as of this recording, looks like you only have two days left to go ride that if you want to. And last but not least, good news coming out from Walt Disney World. Looks like they're going to be expanding their operating hours starting in late April. Looks like they're going to expand to eight. 30 p.m. closings originally they were at 7 p.m. they've expanded to 8 30 p.m. and it looks like the opening actually is going to be at 7 30 a.m. they were opening at 9 a.m. so much longer day in the magic kingdom for everybody it's going down there and that's all for this trip around the news carousel and here's eric awesome thanks brian um, our guest today is Rob Podorf. Rob is an Emmy-nominated composer. Um, some of his credits include I Am Patrick, The Mulligan, and When We Last Spoke. He's also composed the scores to numerous amusements with credits at Disney, SeaWorld, and Busch Gardens. Rob, welcome to the Inside Amusements podcast. Thanks, Eric. Guys, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. We are so glad you can join us. Um, can you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in composing and kind of where it's taken yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, uh, the impetus uh, of this whole thing was when I was five years old, my parents uh, got me a plastic ukulele for Christmas, and uh, that's where it all started. I started with a, a ukulele, then moved up to a wooden ukulele, and then when I grew a little bit, they got me a baritone uke which is a little bigger. And then uh, I think around seven or eight, I started playing guitar. They got me an electric guitar. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was all downhill from there. <laughs> <laughs> so when people ask you if you play a little guitar, you say, well, yes, I do play a little guitar. <laughs> I Actually, actually, I do. And you'll like this. This was the toy ukulele that i got for christmas oh sweet that's so yeah. cool now it's not the one i had i actually uh 
found this on eBay. Okay. And some lady up in Connecticut, she had it when she, from when she was a little kid. And, uh, I obviously paid way too much for it, but you know, <laughs> the sentiment was there, you know, that was, that was the very first one, that exact ukulele. So yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you were all smiles when that thing arrived. <laughs> oh my gosh. You have no idea. That's awesome. Yeah. So, um, can you tell us when did you realize that you wanted to be a full-time composer? Um, <clears throat> you know, I realized I wanted to, to write music or to be involved in music probably around nine years old. And, um, I'm going to, expose my age here. When, when I was nine years old, uh, the Archies was a cartoon uh, series that was on, on Saturday mornings. And there was a big song out by the Archies that hit the top 10. It was called sugar, sugar, honey, honey. And, uh, I loved that song so much. And at that time with, uh, uh, the serial alphabets was out and I hated alphabets, but on the back of the box, they had an Archie's record that you could cut out and put on your record player. So I conned my parents into buying the, the alphabets, telling them I was going to eat it. I never did. But I got the, uh, the box and cut the record out, ran in my bedroom, put it on the record player and listened to it you know, over and over. And finally just went, you know what? That doesn't sound too hard to do. So I wrote my first song. And uh, yeah, it was terrible. But you know, that, was, that was the first time that I'd actually decided that I wanted to write music. And from that point forward... Um, I just kept writing songs and then, you know, doing little arrangements of existing songs and doing things in church and uh, uh, arranging for trumpet and, and things like mm. that. And that's, that's kind of how I got into it. And then at the age of 13, I decided that I wanted to, to play piano. So I just started playing piano. And uh, yeah, and that's kind of where everything developed. It was in, in those years between the ages of nine and and 15 that I really just, you know, developed as a musician. And, uh, yeah, that, that's how it all started. Rob, I'm curious initially, I mean, was it, was in your mind, was it more that you were a musician and you weren't really thinking about composing, you know, say theme music and kind of more of the, the type of body work that you do now? Well, it was kind of half and half. I mean, I really like to write music and write songs, but I also love to sing and play um, you know, growing up, I, I did little 20 minute to half hour shows. I mean, that's how I made money when I was a kid, uh, was playing for, you know, like the Optimus Club, and the Key Club and mm. uh, uh, church functions and, and, and things like that. Um, so I, I loved the performance aspect of it, but I also loved writing. So it was kind of half and half. Um, and it wasn't until, uh, you know, I, I graduated from high school. I, you know, gave concerts and things like that to raise money. Uh, but uh, then I landed my first gig at King's Island uh, as a performer in 1980. And when I auditioned for King's Island, I did it at the behest of my drama teacher from high school. I, I had already graduated, but she uh, said, you know, I'm going to take a bunch of kids down to University of Dayton to audition. Do you want to go? And I'd never seen a King's Island show before. And uh, I said, no, 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 I got to work. I was getting ready to go to college. I was, you know, working to make money. And uh so I hung up and, and all of a sudden I decided, you know, what's the worst thing can happen? So I called her back and I said, yeah, I'm going to go home at lunch. I'll pick up my guitar and can you pick me up at such and such and I'll ride down with you. She said, sure. So they, she picked me up with the other students that she had with her and went down to UD and I auditioned. I sang two songs that I wrote. One was a serious song and the other was a comedy song that I wrote called, called TV Commercial Blues. And uh, so I did that and left and didn't think anything about it. Well, I got a call back. So, and this was back in 1980. 
Um, and in those days, the callbacks, it was like American Idol. There was just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people mm. went back to Kings Island to the American Heritage Halls where they were having the help holding the auditions, the callbacks. And uh, went in and I did the same two songs. And uh, they took me upstairs to sight read some music on guitar. And then they brought me back down and said, we want you to stay for the dance audition. You have to understand, I came from a little cow town of 18,000 people up in Ohio. I didn't know what choreography was. Mm -hmm. And uh, I ended up being the kid in the back row with the hard sole shoes and the street clothes, just trying to keep up with it. It was the most humiliating experience <laughs> of my life. And uh, so I left. And uh, a few weeks later, my dad called me where I was working. And he said, a Dan Schultz from Kings Island called. He wants you to call him back. I'm thinking, they need litter getters. What do they need? I, you know, it couldn't be for the shows. So I called him up and Dan said, Hey, listen, we liked your audition. We'd like to offer you a spot in the country show. And I went, okay. Still not knowing what I was accepting. Mm -hmm. And uh, so finally I went to the first uh, rehearsal down in Cincinnati and uh, still not knowing what I had signed up for and walked into the rehearsal hall and there's all these girls in their, you know, tights and leg warmers and all and, you know, the guys in their dance clothes and stuff, I'm thinking, what have I done? But it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to me because I ended up working at Kings Island as a performer while I was in college uh, from 1980 through 85. In 85, they shipped me to uh, California, to Great America, hmm. to open a show out there. But in the meantime, I did a USO tour. I did industrial tours. <clears throat> ended up being on a television show, kids' TV show that was produced by Taft. Uh, called Pumpkin Creek that was shot at Kings Island. It went into syndication on USA Network. So it was just a whirlwind of a ride uh, being at Kings Island. And because of that, I ended up uh, a few years later after I left, because I had done my studio internship because I needed to get production chops and stuff. But I ended up working as a staff music director and senior music composer for Kings Productions slash Paramount Parks. And uh, I was with them for 11 years until I resigned in 99 because I wanted to do film and television. So there's my, there's my path. Wow. So yeah. your start really, your start really was from that call, right? That call back yeah. for, for Kings Island. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it was, yeah. If, if my drama teacher hadn't called me and said, Hey, I'm taking some kids down to UD. Do you want to go? Yeah. None of it would have happened. Yeah. With getting the gig at Kings Productions, Paramount Parks, I had moved to Baltimore because I went with a production company up there and it didn't work out. And I came back to Cincinnati with my tail between my legs and was just trying to make enough money to survive. And uh, my old roommate called me and said, hey, listen, a bunch of us are going to go uh, to see the pops at uh, Blockbuster Pavilion or whatever the, down by the river where the, uh, the, I don't know, the concerts are held down there. Yeah. I don't mm -hmm. know what it's called now. Uh, but he said, do you want to go? And I said, well, how much are tickets? And he said, they're $9. And, you know, $9 at that moment was like, do I put gas in the car or am I going to get enough money to buy macaroni and cheese? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, finally, I, I was going to say no. And at the last second, I said, yeah, go ahead and get me a ticket. So fast forward to, you know, just the, the July 4th, went over to his house and he had just gotten a new car. It was convertible. So all the and I knew everybody there. We were all friends, but they all piled in his car and there was one person left and his name was Brad Kane. And he was a designer at King's Productions. Well, Jack Rouse was the vice president of King's Productions, the entertainment division. Well, he retired 
and Brad had been moved up to his position. He was now the vice president of entertainment for Kings Productions slash Paramount Parks. And Brad and I were friends. I said, Brad, you can you can come with me. And he gets in the car and he says, oh, so I hear you're back in town. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, what have you been doing? I said, well, you know, I did a, a commercial spot and then I uh, music directed uh, for Jay Downey, who was my um, um, stage manager my first year at King's Island. He was now on his own. And he said, oh, really? He said, well, would you be interested in music directing anything else? And I was like, does a Pope wear a funny hat? Of course I would. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to. And he was, oh, well, would you be interested in a full-time job? Because we just lost lost a staff music director. And I went, yeah. that's how that happened, because I decided to buy a $9 ticket. Mm. That's what started my 11-year wow. uh, path with, with Paramount Parks. Yeah. So, yeah, it's all... It's all blind luck sometimes. Yeah. I wonder because, um, you know, whenever I meet a musician, I'm always kind of curious if, you know, a little bit about their writing process. But is that something you can kind of share with us a little bit? Just yeah. give us a sense of like where it starts and kind of how you come up with the idea and, you know, what's sure. your process? It's there's kind of there's two parts. Uh, one part is when I'm doing film and, you know, when I get a film, uh, usually the, you know, I read the script first and I kind of get an idea in my head on what this, this movie is about and the, the tempo and the texture and the feeling and, and, you know, the underlying message and what the music could do to support that. Um, once that's done, then we have a spotting session with the director and the producer. And that's where you both watch the film and the director says, okay, I want music to come in here. And you have a, a, a time code on the window. So I mark down in and um, it ends here. And I feel like the music should be, you know, very dramatic or whatever. And so you go through the entire film and you mark down all of those, those in and out points. Um, and the director will give his thoughts on what he feels like the music should be. Uh, my responsibility as the film's composer is not only just to write the music, but to also give my input and, and feeling about. So if the, in other words, if the director says, I think this should be strong, and I would come back to him and say, you know, I hear what you're saying, but what do you think about doing it this way? And it gives him an opportunity to look at it from a different viewpoint or different mm-hmm. vantage point. And, and, and the thing is, at the end of the day, if he says, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I don't, I don't think so. I want to do this. That's fine. He's the skipper of the boat. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. his vision that I'm trying to bring to the screen. Um, so once that's done, then it's they go away and I just start watching the film and go to those in and out points and figure out what needs to be there. And and I always tell everybody, I use the Michelangelo theory and what the Michelangelo theory is. And and I'm paraphrasing when, when Michelangelo created David, the famous statue that we know. Mm -hmm. um, And once again, I'm paraphrasing Somebody asked him, how did you create such a, a magnificent piece of art and his answer was, well, it wasn't very difficult. David was already in there. It was just my job to release him. Mm. And that's kind of the way that I look at, at every film that I do. I always think the music's already been written. It's just my job to sit back and listen hard enough to hear what it's supposed to be. And it, I don't know, it may sound a little strange to say that, but it kind of takes the pressure off that I don't have to come up with all this music. It's already there. I just have to listen. And, and most of the time it works out that way. 
and uh, Ian Patrick was the one that was uh, nominated for an Emmy. Uh, I, I took a different approach to that when I wrote the music. And I just said, you know what, I'm just going to let the film write the music and I'm just going to kind of be the vessel. And whatever comes out, comes out. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm not going to try to massage it and make it work. I'm just going to let it happen. Wherever the key changes come in, wherever, you know, if it's just strings, if it's just woodwinds, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be. And uh, it was kind of a neat exercise and it worked out okay because I got, a, like I said, I got an Emmy nomination out of it. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, so that's film. When I'm doing theme park stuff like Disney, mm -hmm. um, uh, I've got a show coming up on the Disney Wish. Uh, uh, it's a Frozen show. And, you know, you already have the music that you're going to be doing. So it's your job to just kind of arrange it and make sure that everything fits together. And if they're doing, you know, a, a cast show, which they all are, then you have to work in uh, script and things like that. So it's kind of your job to uh, remake the music, but arrange it in a way that it's going to work with the stage production. So I would imagine yeah, that those, the, those are the two directions. Seems like timing is everything for that though, right? Like everything really yeah. has to do with, with, you know, like you mentioned the time codes. Oh, uh, yeah. I wonder just a follow-up question. Um, are there, you know, do you have, what sort of like time are you allowed for, uh, iterations? I would, does the producer, director, whoever they come back to you and, um, yeah, well, a perfect example is this, the film that I'm working on right now is called responders and it's, it's, it's a drama about first responders and it'll be in theaters later this year. But, uh, I wrote this, the opening cue and you know, it's credits and roles and things, and it's got a lot of action sequences to it. And I wrote this really powerful, you know, dun, 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 kind of thing that mm -hmm. went through it's, you know, it's like a two minute piece. And, um, you know, sent the demo off with the video to, to the director <laughs> and the first con and I, I was feeling really good. I'm like, man, I've really nailed it. I got it. This is perfect. And uh, I get the note back from him saying, I love this. It's a beautiful piece of music, but it doesn't work for this. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> and uh, when he explained it, he said, here's what I'm looking for. And he wanted something a little bit more subtle, but powerful. And so I just started over because he was like at, at, 28 seconds. This is the feel that I want. Can we use, can we move that forward? And I just told him, I said, listen, it's a lot easier for me just to start over and rewrite it than to try to, you know, fit it in and massage it. So I started back over and I understood what he was looking for once he explained it again. And I sent that demo off to him and he said, this is perfect. In fact, this is the hero's journey. Nice. And the minute he said that, I went, there's the name of the first cue, a hero's journey. So yeah, so it's just one of those things. The hardest part of doing a film is trying to figure out what the director's vision is and where he wants to go with this. And a lot of times it's just that you write something in the very beginning and they go, yeah, I it's beautiful, but this isn't what we want. So yeah, that, that's the hardest part is trying to figure out what he's thinking. I wonder if that's something you can keep in your back pocket, though. You can probably repurpose. Well, I'm going to use it right in or... a later later mm -hmm. scene because there's a, a fire sequence with fire engines and all this other stuff that I'm just going to plop that in there and expand it. Yeah. Man, that's so cool. Yeah. How different is it uh, composing for a film versus uh, composing for like an attraction? Um, Composing for film, it's going to sound weird, is a lot easier because I have picture that's dictating and mandating where I need to go. 
Um, I, I've done a couple in the last year, I've done a couple coasters for SeaWorld down in, in Tampa and the queue line experience, the, there was three levels of it. And the bottom level was more of a subdued jungle kind of thing. And then there was a transition, which was just all percussion. And then the load area up at the top was this big bombastic thunderous, you know, uh, thing. And so I had to create 25 minutes of music for this queue line experience. And when you don't have any visuals, you don't have anything telling you what you need to do. So you've got to like come up with pictures in your head mm. on where this music is going and, and, and what's going to take place as the, the audience member is walking through this queue line. You've got to keep them entertained uh, for this 25 minute period. So, yeah, I, I would say that writing film is, in some parts easier because like I said, you're, you're being told what to write by watching picture. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's something freeing about doing the other thing where you're not dictated or mandated by visuals. You can just sort of write what you want. So yeah, I, I'm pretty neurotic to begin with. So it, it, it goes both ways. <laughs> I guess that's probably a perk for writing for amusements, right? You could probably go and, and ride the rides if you, yeah. absolutely needed the inspiration and needed to be in the element right to to be able to come up well, with a creative what, idea what was funny about the sea world stuff was that the ride was still being built and i had to go down and uh do the install for the for the audio tracks i actually had my laptop with all the music stems and was mixing in in the environment mm -hmm. this is kind of what we do for disney also mm -hmm. uh, they mix everything in the park um so that's what i was doing with them down there and uh but yeah I, I love getting on the coasters, man. <laughs> what's the, what's the medium for these? Is, is it, you putting a CD on loop? Is that pretty much what's happening or? No, they, they uh, have a uh, multi-track I'm just kidding. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they have digital multi-tracks. So, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty elaborate. Yeah. I was just yeah. kidding about the CD, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> just sorry. loop the CD. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's all we do. Yeah. It's a, it's a cassette tape. It's an eight cassette. Okay. It's, it self flips. Yeah. Eight track. There you go. <laughs> um, so I, I'm curious to see what's, what's been your favorite project so far? Oh man. You know what? I, and not because of the Emmy, but because of the film itself and what I got to write was I am Patrick, uh, from a film standpoint. Um, I am Patrick was, was probably my, my favorite film to this point. Yeah. Um, from a theme park, uh, there's a couple of them. Um, Tomb Raider, which used to be at Kings Island. Oh yeah. That was one that I loved doing. That was Man, so that was much a great fun. Ride. Yeah. That was so much fun to, to write for that. Um, and then Iron Gwazi at SeaWorld, uh, which was the one that I just finished up last year. Uh, the 25 minute uh, queue line experience. That was my other favorite one. Um, um, Outer Limits, Flight of Fear. That was another oh. one because it it not only had the uh, musical, the music audio component of the queue line, there was also a video component that we actually got to, to put together. So I got to score the video on that one. So that was fun. Um, and Days of Thunder, that was another one that was just, <laughs> there's a lot of them that was just I, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like, well, that was fun too. <laughs> yeah, man. All of those are uh, pretty, pretty It's some of my favorites. I would have to yeah. say. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was a ball. So cool, man. You have the coolest gig ever. 
I'm very lucky, very blessed. And (laughs) yeah, I I try not to take it for granted and I try not to groan about it when I'm really tired, but you know, I still do, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to, yeah. I mean, listen, I write music for a living. That's kind of crazy. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing. So Rob, I love that you bring up outer limits because uh, I know Joe and I have talked about this. Every time we go to Kings Island, we're always finding like little uh, differences or like, you know, new things that we're spotting and the, like the jokes are hilarious. So every time I'm going to ride that ride, I'm be like, I got to talk to the guy that composed for this. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> and then oh, the f- you're talking about fight of fear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So many good things. And I love that they still use the same video. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. great. Well, I, I actually know. have the Outer Limits flight. It's going to sound weird. Um, my studio is down here, downstairs, and I have, you know, bathroom and guest room and all that stuff over on the other side. And in the bathroom, I have the Flight of Fear poster hanging in there. So, yeah, it's still nice. with me. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, kind of speaking of Kings Island, I mean, what was it like, you know, working on their uh, 20th anniversary special with Jason Priestley? Can you tell us about that? <laughs> Can we forget that part? <laughs> no. That's yeah, such a burning listen, question. That was one of those things that, you know, I was on staff at the time and uh, I can't remember. I may have been Brad Kane that came to me and said, listen, we can't find anybody to, to play this Doc Brown character. Will you do it? It's like, I'm like oh, Brad, really? He's like, yeah, <laughs> we, we just really need some. And they knew that, you know, that I had done stuff like that before. So I went ahead and did it and it was probably the goofiest thing that I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> However, Jason Priestley was the greatest guy that I'd ever met in my life. And he was just cool. He just, you know, he was one of those guys that you would just hang out with and go have a beer with or, or do whatever he was. Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. He was cool. I watched that video recently, of course. Uh, <laughs> oh I love Jason Priestley jumping into the racer with that kid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I cringe every time I see that character I had to play. It was just <laughs> you know, not one of my finer moments, <laughs> but it was still fun. It was still fun. Yeah. There are worse, there are worse characters to play. I mean, Dr. There Brown, come on. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if that, and that helmet kept falling off all the time too. Yeah. It was just crazy. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> um, what would you, I mean, I, I, love hearing about all this stuff, right? Like it's amazing to me, but if, if you weren't composing, I mean, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, I'd probably be doing carpentry. That's, it's, it's a hobby <laughs> that I love to do. Yeah. And I, I love building and I love creating. I mean, my, my dad had a work, uh, woodworking shop when I was growing up and, um, he, I was in 4-H woodworking and all that stuff. So, you know, I've been kind of doing that my whole life and it's, it, it's kind of a hobby for me. Um, I, <laughs> I build cigar, cigar, cigar box guitars. Um, and, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. It's, it's kind of a yeah. hobby, but I, I don't use cigar boxes. I actually build them from scratch and, um, and they have electronics in them and things. And I, you know, spray lacquer and do the whole nine yards. Um, and, and that's sort of my getaway from doing this. So yeah, if I wasn't doing music, I'd probably be doing carpentry. I, I love carpentry. Hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you have, yeah. I mean, just by chance, cause we're on video. Do you have one of those yeah, sitting like right next to you? Yeah. I'd love to see that. It's, it's right here. Hang on. 
Yeah, be sure to check out the YouTube video, guys. Get the behind the scenes of this. Uh, yeah, this, this is oh, this wow, is one that. that I made. Dang, that's so awesome! <laughs> and it's got a humbuck humbucker pickup in it. Okay, yeah. yeah, I see the lacquer, man. It's got some shine. Yeah, and this is this is the back of it. Wow! Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. How long yeah, did it so, take to yeah. to make that? Well, when I was building, I've got a bunch of them, but what I would do is I would be in the middle of a project and you got to take micro breaks away from this stuff because oh, if yeah. you sit here for, you know, 13 hours, you'll lose your mind. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I would maybe every hour or two, I would take 15 minutes out and I had a little shop over here downstairs and I would go in and, you know, chisel away or, or cut or do whatever I need to do just to kind of get a mental break away from this. And uh, so I would say though, if I put all the time together, it probably took me probably about a month, hmm. a month to build one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That doesn't yeah, seem like fun. too crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Do it at your own leisure, right? You don't have to, you know, yeah. it's all about having fun with it. So yeah, I don't sell them. I, you know, I've got too many of them now because I just kept building them, you know, mm -hmm. sort of the OCD kicks in and then you have to build like 14 of them. <laughs> now um being nominated for an emmy is such a major accomplishment um how did you feel when you received the news and how important was that to you oh, it was hugely important but what happened was um months before that uh director jared anderson on on i am patrick uh he told me that they were going to uh enter the film in for an emmy daytime emmy and i uh, said we're going to also enter the the music score and i said oh that's great that's great you don't think anything about that because you know the odds of getting nominated are a billion to one it's like trying to win the lottery mm. and uh so that that was months back and i hadn't given another thought well i was about ready to start a documentary with him and my phone rang one morning and i saw his name pop up and uh i answered the phone i'm like hey how's it going what's going on he said well and this is early in the morning, and it was just after they had announced the uh, nom nominees that morning, and I didn't watch. And uh, he said, I just want to be the first person to call you and congratulate you on your Emmy nomination. <laughs> and I went, <laughs> what? And I just started laughing. I just I couldn't stop laughing. It was, it was just too surreal. And uh, yeah, so I got the nomination for, the, for best score. And the film got nominated. And then Jared also, as a director, he got nominated uh, also. So, yeah, the film film hit the trifecta. Now, none of us won. Uh, Netflix, uh, Letter, to the, Letter to the King won uh, the music score. Hmm. But um, my uh, good friend of mine, he's the casting director for Days of Our, Our, Days of Our Lives. Yeah, Days of Our Lives. And uh, he just called me. He said, just want to let you know that Network, uh, Netflix has a huge marketing uh, machine, so don't be surprised if if they win this. But he said, if you happen to win, it'll be the biggest upset in daytime in history. <laughs> <laughs> Just laugh. But uh, they ended up, uh, uh, Letter of the King from Netflix ended up winning. But, you know, it, listen, that composer did a terrific job on that, on that show. So it was well-deserved. So I just, I'll take the nomination any day. It, it gives you all, you know, a little bit of street cred. Were there um, were there composers that that inspired you? You know, before you got into your career. Um, yeah, I mean, the reason I got into it is because you know, um, back in the '80s when ET came out, I remember mm -hmm. sitting in the darkened theater, 
And at the very end, when E.T., you know, puts his finger up and it lights up, and you know, um, I'll be back, yeah. you know, yeah. <laughs> that moment was, you know, the, the, the crescendo and the music and the way mm. John Williams, who's my idol, yeah. um, the way that took place, it, I just, I mean, I, I'd never done any orchestrations or tried film score or anything. I just knew at that moment that I was like, I, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, but I want to do this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was sort of, once again, it was sort of the impetus of me wanting to, to score the picture was watching E.T. So yeah, that's, that's how great. it all started for me. Yeah. You're, um, so you can't really tell back here, but I have my, most of everything back here is, is 80s nostalgia uh, from when I was younger. And E.T. takes a place up on this shelf area here. Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I would agree. And Star Wars is, one of my favorite franchises of all time so john yeah, williams. anything that john williams it's, he's just i yeah. mean that guy is just is from another dimension you Pretty know amazing yeah That's you just you hear the the themes that he writes that are just so memorable whether it's indiana jones or schindler schindler's list or harry mm-hmm. potter yeah. or jaws i mean the jaws is what started everything and basically john williams brought orchestral music back into the mainstream with yeah. starting with jaws because if, two, if you think about it before that, it, yeah, it was a lot of synth music and a lot of uh, mm-hmm. pop tunes and rock tunes and stuff like that. And all of a sudden it was, it was legit again. So yeah, I'm thankful for him. You ever meet John Williams? No, if, if you could meet like three people in your life, he's, he's probably the number one person that I, if I could just have 15 minutes just to sit and talk. You know, yeah, I would love to. Yeah. Apparently, all you have to do is show up at his front lawn and start playing music, and he just <laughs> with comes a right trumpet. I've seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's classic. Yeah, a couple high school yeah, kids, I, I think, or something, came yeah. up to his one. Yeah, and he just walks out, and he's like, yeah. "Hey guys, hey, sound great." <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Really cool. Yeah. So that just goes to show his character, of course. Yeah, mm-hmm. just a good guy. Mm-hmm. Well, Rob, lastly, uh, we're starting to ask all our guests now, kind of same type closing question so we have to ask you sure um what's your favorite amusement amusement attraction uh or you know any of the rides today and uh same question but as a kid you know what was your favorite when you were a kid it one ride it will always be and that's the beast yes and i <laughs> listen i've been to the disney parks the sea world parks you know all the 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 uh, Cedar Fair parks now, mm-hmm. uh, everyone, because I'm music director. And all, I've ridden a ton of rides, but the Beast is still the Beast. There, yeah, there's n- mm-hmm. will never be another ride like it. And from what I heard, they're actually adding on to the Beast now. Yeah, yeah. Two, two foot was added. They actually reprofiled the drop. Um, really, the Helix has been pretty much completely rebuilt. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. I think there was about, I think two thousand feet replaced. Gravity wow. group, the gravity group came in and retract a lot of that. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, well, yeah. it's not going to be ready for opening day. It's not going to yeah. be until uh, May, sometime May. in May where it's open. So, well, but, you'll uh, like this uh, real, real quick story. When I was performing in the parks, we performed, I was in the international show place, and we weren't supposed to be doing this, but we would sneak out in between shows on the days that the park weren't, wasn't really crowded, and we would run as fast as we can or could to see mm-hmm. if we could get to the beast and ride it <laughs> and get back in time to be in costume to go out on stage. So that was one of the things. So I've ridden the beast a billion times. It's great. 
Yeah, no that, was, that was all wooded behind yeah. there back <laughs> then. So you're able to probably sneak through the woods across the bridge <laughs> on Swan Lake and <laughs> zip right over to the beast. <laughs> of course, Brian knows what that would have looked like. Did right. you have a lanyard at the time? Could you get like kind of, you know, oh, no, we were just line or anything? We were or just, get- now we're just patrons, you know. Okay. <laughs> we would just go over on days that we knew it wasn't crowded so we could just kind of get on the ride and go. Yeah. Yeah, because you didn't have that much time in between shows. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you have to so, let us know if you come up this year for the 50th and ride it. We'll come up and ride it with you. Yeah, my, let's do it. Actually, actually, my wife and I, I just got the invite. My wife and I are, are coming up. So, cool. uh, yeah, so, so I'll be there. Yeah, man. I'll look, I'll look everybody up. Heck, right. yeah. We'd love to just jump on the beast with you. Any other roller coasters, too. That'd be um, a lot of fun. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the one thing, <laughs> this is going to sound really crazy. I want to ride the antique cars again because I, you know, they were gone for yeah. And yeah. I love the antique cars. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's still a must for us, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's every yeah. time we go, you got to do that. And Viking oh. Fury, of course, the Viking. Oh, yeah. Ship. Yeah. Yeah. Tastes That's great. Must feeling. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Cool. Hey, Rob, thanks so much for joining us, man. It's it's really been a treat. And um, it's so awesome to get to know you and and talk with you a little bit. And uh, well, you know. That, uh, I, I, I appreciate cool. you asking me. I mean, it, listen, anything for, you know, theme parks and Kings, I have such a big part of my life forever. You know, I mean, you know, by the time I had left in 99, I'd spent more than half of my life in the theme parks. So, yeah. So cool. Uh, real quick, anything you want to promote real quick? Uh, any sort of, you know, social media or website or anything? Where can people go to find out more about you or listen yeah, to any of your you work? Yeah, rpmusic.com, rpmusic.com. Um, you know, same thing on Facebook, YouTube, Rob Potter Music, Twitter, the whole nine yards. Um, got a film uh, April 18th and 19th. I don't know when this is airing, but uh, the, the, uh, the Mulligan uh, and it's starring Pat Boone. And Pat's still got it, man. I mean, this guy, I don't know, he's like 87, 88 Pat years old. And, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, he's just sharp as a tack and can play golf and the whole nine yards. But uh, it's a really good movie. So it's in the in theaters 18th and 19th. So, yeah, that's it. There you have it. Rob, thanks again for joining us. Appreciate it. Guys, thank you Bye. so much. Well, thanks again for listening to this episode of Inside Amusements. Be sure to visit us at insideamusements.com. Follow us on social media, like, subscribe, and share with your friends. And we'll see you in the next one.